every moment, you know, we make choices consciously and subconsciously. Even this morning, right, uh, just coming to this worship service, you know, we don't really think about it, but we, we made choice, right? What clothes to wear, what shoes, what socks, if you're wearing socks, right? We make choices constantly. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys, I'm assuming that you guys are old enough to remember the, the, the movie Matrix, you know, the very first one. You know how like Leo uh, was, uh, uh, Neo was, uh, you know, he, he met Morpheus, right? And he was at the crucial moment in the movie where Morpheus offers two pills, one that's red, one that's blue. Red, if, he says, if you take this, right, uh, then, uh, <clears throat> then you're going to, uh, you know, just the red pill will reveal the truth about the matrix that you live in. Or you could just take the blue pill, and basically you're going to forget about everything, and you will return to your former life, continuing to live in the matrix. Right? And so red or blue, which one is it? And obviously, uh, he ch uh, chooses red pill. Uh, and then from there, you know, the whole thing, his whole world flips upside down. Right? We make choices every single day. You know, we are going through Proverbs during our Tuesday night prayer meetings. And you know, there is a word that keeps coming up. And that word is discernment. Discernment and how we desperately need discernment, how we desperately need it. Actually, you know, as I was uh, preparing for this message, guess what I was praying for? Discernment, right? I, basically, I needed discernment to speak on discernment, right? I needed to really figure out and, you know, what passage or, you know, what, what is the word of God really saying to us? So I was praying for discernment as I, was, as I am about to speak on this topic of discernment. You know, most of, most of us, if not all of us, don't really have to think too hard to come up with a kind of like a facepalm moment, right? Uh, because we were really lacking discernment uh, in certain areas, right? I don't know about you guys, but, you know, just when I was dating, right, in dating relationships, there are things that I've done that I was like, oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? Why, would, why did I say certain things certain way? Why did I do what I did, right? Marriage, if you are married, same thing. You think about how you relate to your spouse, and then you just immediately realize, man, I wasn't discerning. I was just not wise in the way I treated my spouse. In the way maybe we uh, deal with our children, same thing. Man, I wish I, I wouldn't have done that or would have said that. Or I, I wish I would have handled it in different ways. So anywhere, it, whether it is family, uh, even at work, right, how you relate to your coworkers, your boss, uh, someone who is junior, all this. We, we need discernment in every facet of our life, whether it is a career path, right? Maybe for college students, it's the, 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 the major that you have to declare, right? I remember like when I was my first, uh, first and second year in college, when we had to uh, declare a major, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to major in? I had no clue, right? Um, financial decisions. All these things, we, we need uh, discernment 
you know, uh, this past week and just actually that last couple of weeks, I was talking with a couple uh, individuals um, that and they really needed like discernment, right? You know, when you are at, at a crossroads, right, we really desire um, and we need discernment. And when you lack clarity, you need discernment because sometimes which path you take can have far-reaching consequences, right, to, to the decision that you make. Um, at times, the decisions that we make, uh, it can be life-altering. Uh, for me, it was, uh, as I was graduating from college, I was, you know, when everybody was like talking about, oh, so where are you applying to, you know, I was wrestling with God about, because God was tugging at my heart to, uh, about going to going into full time mission, uh, full time uh, ministry, and so I was wrestling with God about that, and so I knew, like, so in the end, you know, I committed my life and then decided to go into full time ministry, and so I applied to like seminaries, right? Um, but but I knew that was gonna be a life altering decision, right? Is this really what God wants me to do? So uh, I was struggling with it. Is it, is it am I just like? thinking about this on my own, or is it really God, what God is leading me to? So there was just a lot of wrestling that I had to go through. So you know, some of the decisions that we make, it has far-reaching consequences, and it can really uh, change your life. Dictionary defines discernment as the ability to judge well. Um, you know, we think of discernment as the ability to identify you know, something of good quality, you know, when we say discerning, uh, discerning eye for clothes, then basically what we mean is the ability to pick out quality clothes, right? That you have the discernment in that way. The discernment is, in, a, in our setting, in a Christian setting, is this spiritual perception to distinguish what is wise, what is unwise, what is good, and what is not good, what is appropriate, and what is not appropriate. Those are the, uh, the, the sermons uh, that, that we, are, we are talking about, being able to, and the, the perceiving, right, the will of God, and how we are to act, and this, uh, act uh, you know, biblically. And, you know, this spiritual discernment is challenging because it, it's really a serious matter because it can really have, uh, it, it is really a, li- a matter of life and death, spiritually speaking, how we discern things. Discernment matters because our souls are at stake. Our prayer life, uh, our spiritual vitality, it is at stake, dependent on the discernment that we have, how we discern things. And also, it, it matters because the glory of God is at stake. How we, the choices that we make, how we live our lives, how we behave, right? The things that we say, things that we do, they can't really bring glory to God, or it can really bring, you know, dishonor to God. I keep going back to that example of uh, Ravi Zacharias, right? A world-renowned, famous, uh, the defender of Christian faith. He was really famous, well-known. But after his death, the horrible thing that he's done for, in a, you know, for years and years, um, the... Uh, the, abu- uh, the sexual abuse, 
right? And things like that. It really just uh, brought so much like dishonor to the Lord. At the beginning of his reign, when God appeared to Solomon, King Solomon, I mean, God asked him, you know, what he wants. Solomon famously asked for an understanding mind or discerning mind because he wanted to govern the, govern the, the people of God. And God was very pleased with his request because, hey, you didn't ask for more power, more money, more women, none of that. But you asked for wisdom and discerning mind. And so God blessed him very much. We need discernment, right? And we are not only to ask for it, but we are also to work at it. You know, Hebrews 5.14 says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, right? For the mature people, as we are to mature, as we are to grow in Christ, right? We are to have these powers of discernment trained by constant practice. It is not something that just falls on our lap. Sometimes we, we may think of uh, discernment as this nicely packaged, packaged deal, some, this quality wrapped up nicely and just knock, knock on your door, just like Amazon, and then whoo, all of a sudden we have this quality called discernment. It doesn't work like that. There has to be the effort. There, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And I'm going to talk a little more, bit more about that. Um, so there is no magic formula or secret sauce to follow to get this thing called discernment overnight or uh, just all of a sudden, right? It takes a, life, a lifelong time to, 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 to have discernment growing, right? So we have to understand that discernment is dynamic and it grows. Or it can even just, you know, gets, it, it can wither, right? It gets stronger through training. What we have to understand that it is an arduous journey in our quest to have, to have um, you know, better discernment, better judgment on things. It's a long time thing. Like, you know, on Wednesdays, we, uh, we've been playing a volleyball. I remember like, a few years ago, like, when we started playing volleyball, you know, uh, other than like, somebody like you or uh, Daniel, like, all of us were like, pretty like, not very good at playing volleyball. But you know, week in and week out, we come and we play. So you know, I see like, people getting better and then better. And that's how it is with discernment, too. It's not uh, this thing that just like all of a sudden you have it, and then you are, boom, you're discerning. So, you know, what Paul is saying in this passage is in light of what God, uh, Jesus has accomplished, uh, accomplished for us, here's what our response should be. And that's what um, this passage is talking about. You know, verse 2 especially instructs us as to how we can cultivate a life of spiritual Worship. So in these two short verses, what does it say about discernment? Right? Because that's what we want to get to. The first thing that, uh, this, uh, that we can uh, uh, learn or glean from these two verses is first, is discernment requires resistance. Discernment requires resistance. What do I mean by that? Verse 2 
It says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. NIV uh, rendition translation is, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Paul's idea is not to be uh, influenced by or to follow the ways or the philosophy of this world. So first, the sermon, you have to resist. We must process everything through the lens of the gospel and the word of God. This naive and unfiltered acceptance of whatever that you hear or see, it will really hamper our discernment. For example, uh, there are many uh, you know, things, a philosophy and the ways of this world. The sense of entitlement, you know, we, 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 we get that all the time from the, the media and everything. I deserve better, right? Okay. I need, you know, I, I, I deserve uh, this, I deserve that. And so, you know, they, they say that the most difficult uh, tourists in the world tend, uh, are, uh, you know, every, uh, people around the world say they're the American tourists because we have that sense of entitlement. Hey, I pay for this, so I want this, I want that, you know, like, and so we can very be, uh, have that, uh, it's just like, it's like embedded in us in, in oftentimes, the sense of entitlement. And... The world says, you know, do what pleases you, right? Hey, if it feels right, do it. It's your right. Nobody's got to stop you from doing it. You do, you do you, right? Do what pleases you. Believe in yourself. Right? This world says, hey, if you are not married, look for the soulmate. Right? This world tells you, right? There is that, you know, the soulmate that's going to love you, they're going to accept you. But, the, you know, once again, uh, you know, we, in our marriage at Discipleship Group, we, we, we talked about this. But, you know, that it's a myth. The soulmate, basically the basic def- uh, understanding of soulmate that this world talks about is somebody who's going to come along, who's going to, he's not going to, or she's not going to change you. He or she's going to only enhance what you want out of your life. Whatever the goals that you have, I want this in my life. And I don't want anybody that's going to come along and just try to, like, change that. I want somebody who's going to only make it bigger. If I want, if I want, to, get, uh, if I want to get more financial uh, stability, the soulmate is somebody who's going to come and just add, you know, things to, 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 to what, I want, what I want out of my life, the career I want, the goals that I have for my life, right? Soulmate is going to come. He or she's not going to change me. He's going to help me achieve what I want. I want that chemistry, sexual attraction. That's my soulmate. Right? Whatever that we desire, that person's going to come and fill me. Right? That's what this world tells about dating or finding the right person. There is no such thing. Biblically speaking, we are sinful people in need of change. Right? So even just the idea of soulmate it's just the philosophy and ways of this world. Relativism, right? Everything is relative. Truths, they're relative. If it is your, it's your truth, good for you. You believe in that truth. But for my truth, it's different. So you don't tell me what to do or what to believe, right? That those are the things in the philosophy of this world that we should not simply accept. Oh, okay. I guess that's what it is. We have to look at everything. Everything that we hear, we see through the lens of the gospel. So discern, uh, discernment, 
requires a break with the world. Embracing the worldly uh, values is the opposite so often of the kingdom values. The world says first is first and last is last. Whereas God says first shall be last and last shall be first. The world says you are the best. Serve yourself. You are worth it. Christ says whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant of all. Radically different, the opposites. The world says, YOLO, and say, you take the path of, the path of least resistance. But Christ says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, what does it say? Oh, yeah, we have it. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Hey, take life easy. Take it easy, man. Let's enjoy life, right? Enjoy, like, fulfill your dreams, your desires. You only have like 70, 80 years to live. Enjoy your life. That's what the world says. The scripture says the opposite, otherwise. Yeah, there, the road that leads to destruction is wide and it's easy. Everybody's going to take that. But do not go through the, the, the gate that is wide. But go through the narrow gate. Going through the suffering, following Christ in our daily lives that are at odds with the values of this world. Are you buying the philosophy of this world? Are you pandering to your desire for comfort and pleasure? Because being truly discerning involves going against the ways of this world. And not only does our discernment require resistance, but it also, it, it does involve, um, you know, being alienated, right, by this world. It means that we are go going to lose the admiration of the world. We don't really fit in because this world is not our home. We are just sojourners. We simply pass through. This is not our final destination. And when we, and when we don't fit in in certain, you know, how like there are some awkward, you know, kids or people who are socially awkward and whatnot, they, they're not really considered cool, right? We will not be considered cool in the eyes of the world. In fact, if we try to live according to the word of God, we are going to be considered narrow-minded, intolerant, and we will be considered people being on the wrong side of the history. Right? Christian nonconformity is uncool in the eyes of the world, whereas the rock, right there, the rebellious nature, or hip-hop nonconformity is considered cool. Right? Everybody's like, oh, you know, when you're a rocker or something, there are people say, wow, man, that's kind of cool, man. Or like, if you're really like, you know, into really hip-hop, the world will say, well, that, that's really cool, because they don't really conform to the, to the traditional values. So those nonconformity is considered cool, but if you don't conform to, to what the world teaches, and the Christian nonconformity is considered uncool, right? right? Unless we die to our desire, 
to be loved by the world, then we are not really going to have discernment. As long as you still have that thing inside of you, man, but I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. I want to be adored by this world. I want to be cool. Then you may not really have that discernment because it says, do not be conformed to this world. If we strive to be chummy with the world, then our discernment is going to really die out. We won't have discernment. Keeping up with the world may seem enticing, but it will be detrimental to our spiritual life. And therefore, uh, uh, it will be, uh, uh, and so therefore, uh, the discernment will die out. So first thing, that this, uh, this uh, verse is saying is that discernment requires resistance. And the second thing is discernment requires renewal. Discernment requires renewal. Um, and, and once again, in verse 2, it says, do not, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does that mean? It means constant reclaiming of the truth. When it says renewal of your mind, it means constantly uh, reclaim that the truth, we need it because we are forgetful people. We are forgetful. We forget things all the time. We may hear it once and say, oh yeah, I got it, I got it. But what happens afterwards? We forget. Right? Like, it's not that none of us, it's not like that we don't uh, know that God loves us. But then when difficult times come, what comes to our mind? Does God love me? Why is God letting me go, go through this? I don't know if God really loves me, right? We are forgetful of a lot of things. When we, in our daily lives, with all the demands of things that we have to take care of, all the deadlines and, and the, uh, you know, the, the clients that are just on our case, boss that are on our case, people around us that are just on our case, we forget things. We forget the truth. So we have to be renewed constantly. And we need this. We need the renewal of our mind because we are ignorant. At times, we may know that God loves us, but we don't really know the depth, the magnitude of God's love for us. For many of us, when we first, when we first became Christian, uh, you know, yeah, we believe that God loves us and Jesus died. We all know that. But see, our understanding of the love of God, the, the magnitude of God, probably would have been like this if it was like this much, right? And we think that that's how, how much God loves us. But as we grow, right, and then as we mature, then we realize the depth of, of our depravity, how sinful we are. And then we see the chasm that's like widening, Right? The, the sinfulness of, uh, of us, but the grace and the love of God, right? So as we go, as we mature, maybe in the very beginning, when we are immature, baby Christians, we don't know that the gap wasn't that big. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay, I sin, but I'm not that, you know, I'm not a really bad person. I'm a decent human being. But Jesus, yeah, you die for my lying and maybe stealing or cheating or whatever, right? Thank you. But as we grow in our understanding, that we realize, whoa, what a wretched person I am, right? And also in view of that, in light of that, we receive the, the depth and the height of God's love. You see, so we need to constantly be renewed because 
Oftentimes we are ignorant. Oh, it's just the magnitude of the grace of God, the power of God in many different areas. That's why we need the constant reclaiming of the truth. We don't simply just hear it once and say, well, okay, I'm good now. I know it, right? We must be reminded of the truth constantly. You know, when you hear sermons, yeah, okay, we come every Sunday, right? So the sermons that, we, that you, you hear from me or Pastor Jay, they're not some this groundbreaking kind of stuff, earth-shattering kind of truth that you've never, ever heard of. Yeah, maybe there's some, like, theological terms or whatever here and there that you may not have heard or something. But most of the things that we talk about, it's not something that, that you had never heard. If you never heard of it, then actually that's problematic because we, we may be saying things that are not biblical, right? But the sermons are faithful reminders of God's truth for each and every one of us. We're not saying things that you have never, ever heard of. Why do we do this? It is because we need constant reminder. Because once you are away from this environment, when you go back to your home, right, dealing with work, relationships, demands of life, you're going to be swept in it. And you're going to start forgetting about what, what we just talked about. Anybody who has not been to church on a regular basis, well, it'll be a common experience for them to kind of forget about a lot of things because we are constantly bombarded. And just daily grind is so great. As I said before, the sermon isn't static. The sermon grows when we constantly reclaim, remind, and renew ourselves with the gospel, the promises of God, and the truth of God's word. It's like a watering the plant. For the plant to grow in its sun and the water, have to constantly. Do you just like, when you look at a, a plant and say, well, I gave him water once, so hey, I'm good, right? I've done my part. Would that plant survive? After just the first time watering the plant, would it survive? Absolutely not. You need that constant watering. And that's what we need in our lives. Another reason that we need a renewal of our mind is because we are constantly bombarded, as I said before, by the, the philosophy of this world. Our hearts and souls are being assaulted constantly. It's like the ongoing war in Ukraine, right? The Ukrainians, they keep on fighting. At times they have setbacks, and they have also have some small victories, but they don't stop just because they won once, or they don't stop just because they had a setback, right? Because the Russians are, the Russian soldier, uh, the army keeps on coming. It's like that in this world too, in our soul. The enemy will constantly bombard us with lies, whisper ears, uh, uh, whisper like, you know, lies to our ears, right? We need to be renewed constantly. As we, even as we are battered, even if we stumble and fall, we are not to give up, but we are to continue the fight. We will continue to fight, fight the good fight, right? I mean, who among us has not gone through some mental lapses 
and did some things that are like, why, why, why? Why did I do that, right? Don't give up, but just come back to the, come back to the Lord and be renewed. And as we do so, our discernment will surely grow. It's dynamic. It's not static. It can grow or it can wither. We need constant renewal of our mind. And the third thing uh, that these verses say is that discernment requires action. Discernment requires action. Because in the second part of uh, verse 2, it says that by testing, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By testing. All too often, we think that discernment is this, like a mental exercise, right? It's a mental like, ability, figuring out in our head what is good or bad, wise or unwise. But that is really a flawed and deficient understanding of discernment. Not only to identify what is good and, uh, good and evil, but to act upon it. That's part of discernment. That's discernment. Merely identifying something in your head, but not following through with it, it's not really discernment. Knowing that pornography or gossiping is wrong in your head, but if you're still engaged in it, is that a discerning thing? Are you discerning? Because in your head you know it is wrong, but if you're still doing it, are you discerning? Of course not. Where there is a divorce of, our, uh, divorce of thoughts and actions, discernment is absent. Discernment requires application and impl- uh, implementation. As I said in the Hebrews chapter, right, by constant practice, constantly doing this. By testing, it says, Paul says here, by testing. And we're not talking about SAT or software certification here. What it means when Paul says by testing, it means that by through the obedience. As we obey the word and as we live it out in our lives, that's what it means by testing, that, that we, will, we, we may discern what is the will of God by testing, by living it out. And I think that's where a lot of us fall short because in our mind, discernment is about just knowing it in your head, figuring out. But how do we even get that discernment? By testing, by living out the word of God, by living out the truth of God's word. In other words, discernment comes as we actually obey God and do what he says. Do you want discernment? You know, many of us are terrified about uh, evangelism. Whoa, I've never, you know, witnessed, I, I never, like, told other people about Jesus. Scary. Uh, I don't have any discernment. Well, you don't have discernment because you never actually like talk to people about Christ. How do we get discernment? But what to do, what to say, and how to say? By going through, actually like witnessing. Right. I remember the first time that I uh, uh, tried to witness. I was like stuttering. I was uh, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, something, and I, I had no idea what I was talking about. It's because I, but you know, as I kept doing it, right. And then I got used to it, and I, oh, figuring out some certain things. I've made some 
horrible mistakes uh, in my uh, evangelism thing because to this one Jewish guy in college, I said, hey, you know, did you know that the, you know, it's really the Jews who killed Jesus? He was so offended, right? I was like, now that I look back, why did I even say things like that, right? Uh, in my mind at that time, because it was very early on in my uh, you know, evangelistic fervor and whatever. See, but to see, I, I, I grew in my discernment uh, and it's because I've, I've done it. And then through that, I realized, I learned things, what to say and what not to say, how to deal with people. Prayer, same thing. I don't know what to pray for. If you say that, then you're not going to have discernment on prayers. You learn to pray by praying, not by talking about praying. right? Every, any, any other aspect where you need discernment, first, do the word. Live it out. If the word of God is not lived out in our lives, we're not going to have discernment, period. You're really setting yourself up for disappointment if you are looking for discernment while you are not walking with God. Now, I'm not saying that you will have clarity on everything in your life as you walk with God. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that because you're not going to. But you cannot have discernment without having this intimate, loving relationship with Christ. You are not going to have it. If you are not walking with God, if you put him aside, shove him to the, uh, to the uh, put him aside, you're not going to really have discernment. If you're not living out the word, you won't. If you don't obey what is clearly revealed in the scriptures, if we already know the will of God that is already in here, if you're not doing that, it is unlikely that we will have discerning. We would we will be discerning in areas that are not really clear cut because there are things that are gray area. If you're not even doing the, the clear things, what makes us think? Or what why, why would we even expect God to give us discernment in areas that the scripture is not talking about? Don't expect, an, uh, don't expect a Christian version of a crystal ball or a quick fix. But by faithful obedience, a greater intimacy with Christ and the capacity to discern God's will will emerge and it will grow. Discernment requires action. One last point is discernment requires the gospel. The discernment requires the gospel. In verse 1, I know, I've been focusing on verse 1, but in verse 1, uh, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Romans, this book, is Paul's fullest, grandest, most co comprehensive statement of the gospel. So the, today's passage begins the application of the gospel that, uh, that, that Paul lays out in the first 11 chapters. For 11 chapters, he talks about what the gospel is, what it means to be united with Christ, what it means to know the gospel and believe in it. And then when he's done with it, in chapter 12, he begins the application of the gospel. And it says, I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, 
It's referring to the gospel that he has this, uh, taken, taken great pains to explain. By the mercies and by the gospel, now I appeal to you to do this. You see, the discernment is only possible because, there is, because, uh, because of the gospel. Verse 2 f- uh, flows from verse 1. In view of God's mercy, by the mercies of God, by the gospel, because of the gospel, now you can have this discernment. Do not be tra- uh, conformed to the, to the world, right? Um, and do not follow the patterns, right? And, um, you know, just be renewed. And by testing, do the work. God enables us to discern through Christ. There is no verse 2 without verse 1. There is no discernment without the gospel. We had no discernment, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden when they fell. We didn't care about the will of God. But we only did what pleased us. Just look at his disciples while Jesus was with them. You know, even right before Jesus was arrested and he was about to be crucified, guess what they were arguing about? Who is the greatest among all of us? Right? Who, they were arguing among themselves. I'm better than you. No, I'm number one in here. Right? No discernment. But through his death and resurrection, they finally had discernment. They finally understood Discernment requires the gospel. Now, uh, practically speaking, so he's like, okay, Pastor, okay, that's all good. Okay, it's good, it's good, right? But practically, like, how do I, dis- so uh, especially when it comes, to, uh, yeah, what, wh- wh- but you, how do we, like, practically speaking, how do I really discern things? Uh, the practically, I would suggest this, right? Ask some uh, important questions, like what you are about to do, what you are about to take on, or the decisions that you have to make. Does it glorify God? Whether you have choice A or choice B, first, right? Whatever the, the path that you, are, you want to take, really be honest and really seek the Lord and say, does it really glorify God, Right? And also ask the question, is it consistent with biblical principle? What I'm about to do, is, that, is, there, uh, is, is there something that the principle-wise is it biblical, right? Also ask the question, what is my motive? When I choose this, or choose A over B, what is your uh, true motive for choosing it? Is it really for selfish gain? Because it feels right? Because that's what I want to do? Those kind of things. You really have to be absolutely honest with, uh, honest, right? To ask these questions. Uh, even just uh, last night um, in our virtual discipleship group, uh, the question was asked, right? But, you know, so what if I make a choice, but I'm afraid that that's not the will of God? How do I know the, the choice that I'm about to make? What if it's not the will of God? I just don't know. So I think uh, it's probably referring to some cases where it doesn't really uh, involve moral implications. Like, because if it is ethical implication, it's, it's, it makes it pretty obvious and clear. Um, but even then, I've seen way too many uh, Christians 
like especially in the areas of like relationship, it's clear that the scripture says you are not to yoke yourself with non-Christian, but you know what? Some people that are so desperate, Christians that are so desperate, right? I want to get married, right? So even though you're not to really just, uh, you know, be united to a non-Christian, but they, I'm going to get married, right? Only to really suffer greatly, so much heartache, lacking discernment. So you have to really just uh, think about those things. But once again, but what about the cases where it doesn't really involve moral implications, such as choosing a major or the career path, right? Things like that. It really doesn't involve biblical, uh, you know, things, right? Um, so what about in those cases? How do I know what I'm about to choose? It's not the will of God, because the Bible is silent on these issues. What do I do? So what I said to, to that person uh, is that we have to realize in, um, in God's economy, nothing is wasted, right? So even the, what we consider is a detour, maybe, it may be the, uh, maybe God has designed it that way. So as long as you are in the right place, if, uh, if your motive and if your desire is your posture, your attitude is to, I want to honor God in this, whatever the decision that I make, and you are walking with God and you are really earnest and genuine about honoring God through your decisions, even if it's not clear that once you make a choice and if it takes a detour, you have to then consider that you have to trust God in his sovereignty and his guidance. Because even that detour, the wrong choice that we make, it may be part of God's plan. I think I shared it uh, the last time I spoke, you know, about my experience in a, a church plant thing. Like, so we, uh, we, I was part of a church plant for seven years. And then after that, I, as I shared with you, we disbanded. Uh, so it was a really painful experience. So looking back, I could have made an argument. Hey, maybe that wasn't the will of God. Maybe I shouldn't have, like, you know, it's not like I didn't have a choice. I could have, like, you know, honestly, I could have, like, you know, taken a, 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 a position that was, like, very stable. I knew, like, you know, church plan, there's nothing is stable. You know, there's no source of income, nothing, right? It was a huge risk. Um, so I could have made an argument. And said, maybe I made a wrong choice about going with this really unknown, risky church planning route instead of, really, you know, accepting a position at a really well-established well -established church so I don't have to worry about, oh, where is going to be the next check coming from kind of thing, right? But looking back, uh, even though it was a, you know, long detour or whatever, you know, and from then on, my life was really different. So did I choose a wrong uh, choice? No. Right? Because at the time, my, uh, I believed that my heart was in the right place to honor God. So even though it didn't lead to, because what I envisioned at the time was to you know, start this church and then just like let it grow and then just become a really God-honoring, like really exciting like, you know, church. Right? It never materialized. And then, so, and then I had to go, oh, is, is God even calling me uh, to, into ministry? But even that detour or the things that didn't really pan out. Now, I, I really believe that it was God's will for me to even go through that. Just because we don't really, when we are afraid of, man, this decision that I make, I don't know if it's God's will, but if you are in the right place, 
to honor God with, with what you are about to do. That you have to believe that that is the will of God, that God will not let it go to waste, even if it does not turn out the way you want. And also, how do we know if it is the will of God, if it's not really in a clear way? Maybe it was the will of God for you to kind of go through that painful experience, the things that you didn't really want from this decision that you make. Even that, maybe in the, in the grand scheme of things, God was calling you to even just go through that so that, you know, yeah, boy, you know, after going through that, I was really humble. I mean, because before that, I, yeah, I mean, I was a proud guy. I was like, man, I can make things happen. I am gift of God to mankind kind of thing. You know, like God had to really break me and just break it really hard. So through that experience, like, I learned a lot of things about myself, the, the weaknesses and the things I really had to work on. So I don't consider that a, I didn't do the will of God, right? So do not be uh, terrified. Or say, oh, what if maybe the fear of failure is getting in the way? What if I don't do the will of God? Well, as long as you are in the right place, you have a right heart before God, and when you make a decision, go with it, that God will uh, lead you. Even if you're not going the right way, he will make ways to detour or make open doors, closed doors. And that's what Pastor Jay talked about in the life of Joseph too. Right? He will lead you, right? even in ways that you may not have expected. So may that be our understanding uh, and with the, uh, the trust in Christ that we would walk with him. Let's pray.